It's groovy on this Sunday afternoon. I'd let that come back around. Little Mark Barrett for you. I've talked about him on the podcast before. Interesting electronic music there. Uh, he just has a new album out as well. Uh, that's actually not from the new album. That's from one of the albums I believe that I featured on here, like probably almost a year ago. And it's called, uh, let's see here, Ske- Remixes from an Island because the album name was Sketches from an Island. And um, I featured him on here before. He's really, really phenomenally talented. And, and he's definitely offbeat electronic music. I'm not trying to say that... Uh, anybody would necessarily enjoy enjoy his music but i think in terms of electronic music he does a fantastic job of kind of just painting a picture with his sounds and really just taking you to a different place um and just really trying to kind of evoke a sort of vibe and um feeling i don't know it, it also like i've heard a lot of his music and it's you know, it'll put you like right in the middle of a jungle. Like that's like exactly what it sounds like. And he uses a lot of like actual nature sounds and everything like that. So it's very interesting, but you're not listening to like those awful nature albums that they have at like target or whatever on that little soundboard where you sample each album. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I've seen those and it's, it's not like that. It's something you can listen to and um, enjoy maybe even with other people around, but welcome to content for the culture. Might as well do an intro here. Uh, this is episode 21 I, or 22. I believe 21 was, uh, few weeks ago with Wolfgang, uh, aka Mustache Sweat, and unfortunately I didn't get to a lot of things that I wanted to talk about then, and I might just kind of have to gloss over them this time because they're not as relevant necessarily, but if you're listening, thank you for listening, and what are you doing here? You're here for the best music, movies, television, just any sort of media content around, and um, at least, you know, through my eyes, and when the hell am I ever wrong, so... No, but uh, thanks. Thanks for listening, and let's let's get rolling. So I, I have a few things to talk about, but um, I just hit my elbow on the table. If there was a little feedback there, uh, before I get into music, and um, you know, just first suggestion of the week is Mark Barrett. Uh, last name is spelled B A R R O T T. And if you just go to my playlist on um, Spotify, you can just find it that way. And uh, it, his his new music should kind of be at the top there. Uh, all that stuff you can find on the website, which is contentfortheculture.net, not .com, because I couldn't figure out how to get get that domain back. But uh, yeah, you can just go there and find all the music and kind of everything in the podcast funneled through that way and just kind of streamlined to make it easier on any listeners just to find the music I'm suggesting and everything like that. So before I get started um, talking about music, because I have a few things to suggest, I was going to talk about a couple things that I had beef with a little bit and first of all I was flying home uh, this this was weeks ago but I wrote it down when I was on the when I was on the plane because I thought I was going to record a podcast pretty soon but I didn't get to it until now and basically I was on the plane coming home and someone pulled this move and, and this is just something that I, I generally have zero zero tolerance for okay and it was like, and it was just so baffling. I get so tired of this and maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just kind of like grossed out by it. I'm not, I'm not a germaphobe, but I don't know. I just have weird lines that I draw and limits that I have. I was on the plane and someone had a piece of gum and they, it was just like a typical flight. Like, you know, not like first class or anything. People weren't getting meals, but what they were passing around were just those little snack bags or like, you know, a bag of peanuts, some shit like that. And 
this person has the fucking audacity and I just think it's so disgusting. I just, I, I'm, I just, I'm not this person and some people have no problem with it, but they get their bag of peanuts, what have you. I don't know what it was. It doesn't really matter. And then they proceed to just put their fucking gum, <laughs> put their gum like right on. It was either on, I hope it wasn't on the table. I can't remember specifically cause it was a few weeks ago, but they put their gum right on like a plate or a napkin or just, I think, yeah, I think it was like a napkin or inside their cup, just like right on the table. And again, in like a plane too, I don't know what's going through the air. I'm a little, like people, people wear fucking, you know, surgical masks sometimes when traveling because of like all the germs in the air. I don't really know necessarily the science behind it, but I understand people are at least concerned. And then this person just doesn't care, puts their gum out like that and lets it sit there, lets it sit and fester in the air in this disgusting recycled air that's in this plane. We're all breathing like the same oxygen over and over. And then puts it back in their mouth like later. But has it just sitting out for like a considerable amount of time? I don't know. I don't know if that's just me. I don't know why. I, it grosses me the fuck out. It really does. And then, you know, again, the, this is not all across the board. I'm the kind of person where if I drop a piece of food on not like the floor necessarily, I kind of draw the line there. But if it's on like the table or something, even at like a restaurant, actually, no, not at restaurants because you don't know what they do to clean the table. And I used to be a busser. Don't do that. If you drop food on a table at a restaurant, you, you absolutely unequivocally do not eat it because I'm telling you right now, firsthand, the bus boys are wiping down those tables with quote unquote clean rags, AKA they're sitting in this big bucket in the back and it's just a big bucket of murky soapy water and it is not cleansing. And again, this was just where I worked. I was at Texas Roadhouse. It could be different at other restaurants. I don't know. Um, but generally it's like if I drop a piece of food on a table, on the piece, on a table or something like that and I, you know, I'll pick it up, I'll eat it. I don't really care, but I just, the gum thing grosses me out, man. And if we're speaking about, you know, this isn't like your, like, again, like if you drop a piece of food, if you're eating like a nice piece of steak or like salmon, I would understand it. It's like, oh, I don't want that to go to waste. Is that one piece of gum really that important? I mean, I'm really, I'm just concerned. Like I, if, if that piece matters, I mean, you get for a dollar fifty, and even if you're paying fucking like airport prices, okay, you pay three dollars, you're getting like fifteen to twenty pieces of gum or something. I mean, you're getting a lot of pieces of gum. Do we really need to recycle it? Do we really need to like pre like preserve this? Can't we just throw it away and move on to the next? Like, come on. Okay, we only have one piece. Split it in half. Do the half move. Okay, let's come on. If it's that much of a concern, then for the love of God, just make it easier on the rest of us. Again, none of this is related to music or anything like that. I guess I was listening to music at the time, but I just saw it and I was fucking baffled. I was fucking baffled. And then, and then I, okay, so there's no segues here, but there's just a few things I wrote down and I just, I needed to talk about them, get them off my chest. Secondly, I don't necessarily understand the point of the encore for live music. I, I, I really don't. I really don't. And again, not related to the gum thing, but... I went to a show recently at Crescent Ballroom and I and I saw uh, the band's name is Tennis, I believe. And then before that, I went to Devendra Banhart and I, I talked about that on the podcast a little bit with, with Wolf and played music that he most certainly probably didn't enjoy. <laughs> um, but I, I was sitting there and, and this band plays, you know, it's like an indie rock band, kind of like, you know, like Devendra too. Just in, in in terms of like the amount of people following length of show, et cetera, what to kind of expect overall from that kind of venue and everything. And 
they play, you know, an hour and a half long set. And they basically go, you know, they played an hour and a half set. It was really good. End on a good song. And then they're gone. And, you know, you have to ask the question, like, all right, am I going to leave now? Am I going to save the time? What am I going to do? I don't really, I, I mean, really, I, I don't understand the encore. I, I don't get it. It's kind of one of those things, like, it's, okay, like, I get the encore when it's, like, a legit encore. I get an encore when it's, okay, this this band just put on the most amazing set. Like, say it was a band that wasn't planning on it. That's, that's the thing. When it's planned, I just don't understand it because it's so... Um, it's just so put together already. It, it kind of takes away the whole point of it. Like, for example, if you saw, say, like Bruce Springsteen or some like arena band, like, and I'm not even a Springsteen fan necessarily, but you, you know, a band that puts on an incredible show, puts on this long set, okay, and they really do finish. They really do finish their set. They play for two and a half, three hours, okay, and they're out shredding, having a great time, jamming out. People are loving it. It's a great set. Say they go back, and it's just the crowd is so energized, so into it losing their goddamn minds okay i understand the the encore of the band being like fuck it let's go back out there and give them a few more because that was too goddamn good of a show and again i could be wrong i don't i'm not you know i don't play live music i'm not on marquees at places so i get maybe it's planned almost all the time but in that sense i could get it i could get it where it's like we need an encore we need more we are not going home until we get more give it to us and then the band plays more music i can understand the mentality behind that but when it's built into the set it just feels so constructed and so just like kind of fake and bizarre like you know this band puts on you know it's a smaller band and i'm not saying they're not worthy of an encore they put on a great fucking show but it's weird when it's at this small venue and everybody's listening playing it for you know they play for an hour and a half they go back and it's like all right should we leave should we go to the car and i'm just saying you know i'm like well they're going to be back on in five minutes. It's like, they're going to be back on in five minutes. People are cheering, but more so than people are cheering and like going nuts, like oh, encore, encore. No, it's, it's more just like hanging out. Not that the band didn't put on a good enough show to be worthy. They did, but it just in the sense that like, it's so expected that everybody's like, all right, we're just going to wait another five minutes and then this band's going to come back on and then we can hear more. I don't really get it. I, I, I mean, what's, it's kind of stupid, right? It's almost like uh, you're just putting about five to ten minutes in between me getting home and going to bed. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. It's just kind of bizarre. And they do it at all shows. You know, they did it. They do it at, um, well, at a certain, like, I feel like at Crescent, like that kind of venue size. Once you're paying about, I'd say, 20 to $25 a ticket for any show you're going to, that's when they're going to start doing an encore because it's just going to be built into the set. It's going to be enough of a crowd and enough of, enough of a crowd to garner that and people are going to stay and make it worth the band's time even too to play that. But I just don't really get it. It's so put together and I was just sitting there and, and they came out and they had two great songs to finish with the encore. They played just like uh, with tennis. It's like a man and wife married man and wife. You are now man and wife. Uh, it's a husband and, and wife. They're the, like kind of the lead guitarist, lead, uh, lead singer. And um, the, the woman being the singer and she plays the keys and he plays guitar. He plays a little bit of the keys as well, but doesn't sing. Um, and they just came out just the two of them at the end and not, not the full band. And it, it was, it was really a, a beautiful two songs to end on the way they played it. But I'm almost kind of like, why don't they just send the band back 
and then finish their two songs. Why, why even go backstage? And I get it, maybe rendezvous, but it was just so odd. It's like, okay, we know the encore is coming. We know, I just don't, I don't understand it. If someone could explain that to me, that'd be great. And I also want to know where the fuck encores even came from because it's just kind of a bizarre thing. And I mean, I must, I'm sure originally it came from just people putting on a great show, people wanting to hear more, and then that happening, you know, automatic. Like, like I'm talking about, like it just happening organically where people go, we want an encore, you know, encore, encore, just losing it. And then the band being like, fuck it, we have no choice. Let's, let's please the fans and let's go play some more. But it's, I'm frank, you know, I'm fucking fed up. The encores have spiraled out of control. Uh, and again, it's just a minor issue. It's not even an issue. I just don't really understand it. It's kind of bizarre. That's at least just my perspective on it, but I could be wrong. And, and maybe it's nice for a band to kind of rendezvous backstage anyways, and just kind of touch base before finishing a set. I, I don't know. I'm not sure if someone could explain that to me. If, if someone could send me some fan mail and explain that to me, that'd be great. Uh, and then the final thing was, it was three things I just needed to get to before I talk about music and stuff. And we're almost 20 minutes in here. Um, the final thing was, my issue with holding music. I I don't know. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I honestly think I had to call the DMV the other day. I was getting my um, registration renewed before the end of the month. Of course, doing it on literally the last day of the month as well. Just really pushing it, pushing it to the limit there. And I had to call and get put on hold music because I couldn't make it to the DMV. I, I swear to God. I mean, the, the reason that they're the, the, the way they choose the holding music, it absolutely has to be because they want to fucking torture you, torture your ears and make you hang up. Because obviously if you're on hold, it means they're way too busy to answer all the calls. You know, they don't have enough staff, whatever. And the lines are busy. I've worked in a call center. I know how it works. And it's like, I was calling the DMV. This music was like the most on the loop, awful, like elevator jazz song you've ever fucking heard in your life just awful just so incredibly torturing just like it was it was just painful to listen to and so i'm sitting there and i'm like i i i'm like i'm like i don't even know if it's worth it i'm like i will gladly take the ticket from the police officer or get arrested get arrested with uh, with no registration because i don't know how much more music i can take i don't know how much more holding music i can listen to and on top of all of that, it would, like I said, it was just this loop of this jazz song. It was just such fucking torture. And then it would just like, it was like a little jazz, a few note, few notes like on a loop. And then it would stop. It would just like come to just like a very slow, gradual, and it would stop and it would pause for like two and a half, three seconds. Enough to make you think, <laughs> enough to make you think you finally made it through and it's going to be, you're like, oh, you know, like when it stops and then it just kind of actually does the real phone ringing thing, the real phone noise. It, you know, and I'm like, oh, we made it. Oh, fuck. And it just comes right back and it was just, it was so goddamn obnoxious. And basically my, my final point being that I, I think the holding music is specifically chosen to try and get people to hang up. That's my theory. I might just be a little bit of a conspiracist, might be overthinking it. I don't know. Maybe I think they're they're way too strategic about it. Maybe they're just picking cheap songs to put on the background as opposed to putting on like radio songs and getting the rights to them. I don't know. But there's got to be there's just got to be a better way. I mean, I'm not saying you need to get like a live DJ or something and spin in a set. I I I just either way, I just need something. I need something a little more. Uh, a little more rewarding for having to wait for so long because it's like you're making me feel like I'm the bad person. It's like you guys are the ones that are understaffed. 
Um, also, I am the one calling at the end of the month uh, at noon <laughs> at lunchtime on like a Monday. So it's partially my fault as well. I was kind of asking for it. But with that said, in that 15 minute rant over covering uh, ranging talk, uh, ranging topics, I will start talking about some music to suggest. So, like I said, um, the past, I haven't done a podcast just kind of in the typical fashion for about a month, maybe like a month and a half, because I had to do one with Wolfgang. Not had to, it was a good time, but I, I did one with him and I could only talk about so much. I remember I mentioned Mac DeMarco had new releases, Devendra Banhart, I reckon, uh, recommended his album. Uh, so I'm not going to necessarily play those. I wish I could talk about uh, Mac DeMarco more. Uh, he, he's he's going to be putting out new music soon, and it's really, really exciting. It's going to be very good. And I heard a couple of the leaked songs uh, that came out kind of through Reddit, or, or I heard them on YouTube, and uh, they were damn phenomenal. Can't find them anymore, but I got a few listens before they were taken down. So that's obviously something to be excited about. And anybody who listens to this knows I'm a huge fan of that genre and that kind of slacker rock and uh, Mac DeMarco kind of just embodies that whole thing. It's kind of at the head of it. So that's going to be exciting on top of that for new music. Like I said, I suggested that Mark Barrett album and, uh, that remix album too. You can find them both just on Spotify and through the content for the cultured playlist. And then also I wanted to recommend, I put it up on the website, but I didn't talk about it on the podcast, the new home shake album. I believe that came out near the end of January, maybe early February. And I just didn't get to talk about it. So I'm going to play a song from it. And I don't think I've actually featured it on here. But I, I've, I've talked about Home Shake before. And let me just find a good song to start us with. I've talked about him before. And uh, here's the new album. It's called Fresh Air. And it was out, yeah, February 3rd. So obviously like a month later. But either way, highly recommend. A little out there. But again, part of that genre with kind of Mac DeMarco, Mild High Club, who I've talked about, uh, Con and Moccasin, who I've talked about. Can't recommend enough, and you just kind of have to go in with an open mind. Very unique sound. I mean, he really has, like, kind of created his own sub-genre within those artists, and it's really impressive, and he has a little bit of a cult following, so highly recommend, highly recommend checking him out. Let's see, which song should we play? Um... Let's just play the intro to probably the lead single off the album is damn good. And uh, you can see if you like it. And then we'll move on to the to the last artist I'm going to suggest.
Didn't mean to pause the music there, but uh, I was I was about to stop it anyways. And that song is called "Call Me Up." I highly recommend. That's probably probably the best song on the album. It makes sense that it's the single. Uh, but his his use of drum machines and the way he just kind of draws out the draws out the groove is fucking phenomenal. And um, again, just kind of a part of that that separate genre of like Mac DeMarco Mild High Club. King Cruel, everybody like that. I mean, you'll just see it on Spotify as suggested artists, related artists, and they all sound similar and yet have their own just specific sound uh, that kind of makes them individually unique as well. But a lot of them play shows together and tour together, etc. So I highly recommend checking that out. And honestly, I'm going to play a song from Mild High Club from their album that came out about a year ago, but I've been listening to it again. And it's another song that I just I, I cannot get enough of. And I think anybody could anybody could enjoy it. and just so you can kind of get a feel between those genres and I've obviously played Mac DeMarco on here and um, I don't really know what to call it I kind of wish I could think of a name but it's it's almost like a modern version of I don't know like 70s like stoner rock a little bit like in a weird way um, just kind of like that Crosby Stills and Nash and stuff like that folk rock mixed with um, progressive sounds because like drum beats and everything like that, but like groovy bass tones, everything. I, I just really enjoy that because I love old classic rock. I really do. And, um, and I, I just really enjoy the genre. So let's play this one, one song really quick. It's called, uh, it's off of their album, Skip Tracing, which was from 2016, came out in August. I, I definitely talked about on here and I, I saw them at Valley Bar. They're really a, a great, great fun band to see. And let's see. This song is called Chapel Perilous, Perilous, and what I really love is after the introductory verse and chorus where it goes after that and it just kind of builds off of this one vibe and just kind of escalates up and comes back around. I'm going to play it for a while, honestly, and, and sorry to take up the whole podcast with music talk, but there's just been so much so much good stuff out and this song has been damn good too and, and I added again recently to the podcast playlist as well so uh, here goes nothing
is where it kind of kicks in. just such a fat groovy bass tone and it's just so simple it's not musically that complicated and I think kind of an interesting thing that brings these genres together brings these bands together is the ability of these lead singers they really don't have the most amazing voices I mean I think Mac DeMarco has a pretty decent voice but the guy from Home Shake there's a lot of notes he misses I mean I was reading the Pitchfork review for it and there was one of the songs they didn't like because his voice it's like kind of almost out of range, but I actually happen to enjoy it. And I think it's interesting that these guys can kind of make music that sounds so damn good and um, still might not necessarily be totally musically sound, like exactly note for note. And um, it's just very impressive. So let's just uh, let it ride out here. Chapel Perilous Mild High Club off of their new album. Highly rec highly recommend. Um, obviously, 30 minutes in, we we're talking about music, but there's so many damn songs I have to recommend. I got one artist left. Uh, the artist's name is Kingdom and just came out with a new album called Tears in the Club. I like saying it like that. Tears in the Club. There you have it. Um, so yeah, Tears in the Club is the name of the album by Kingdom. There's a couple songs that I really enjoy. One being What is Love by Kingdom and SZA. I have no idea how to say the artist's name. She has a killer voice though. And then the next one is Timex. And the first song, I just it's just a very good song. And um just has it's just like a good song overall and, and I know that doesn't sound uh descriptive, but it's like, you know, with a hook and a chorus and everything the second song though um comparatively it's like it's completely different it's just like a drum beat and just so groovy and consistent and i just want to play that as well so here's the first song let's put this on i just love the hook on here called what is love Cheeky. 
So yeah, as you can tell, just like a typical song, verse, chorus, and then just a catchy hook on the chorus there. Um, but very different from this next song, which is called Timex. Let's get to it so we can get to some other topics before I got to hop off here. the synthesizers because it kind of just rounds out the whole song in general I believe in my personal opinion here we are kind of just turns it into something more there there obviously uh just kind of a simple drum beat but man it's just groovy i just love it um album is called tears in the club tears in the club and uh just one tears in the club tears in the club and it's not spelled duh i wish it was the club like in the club 50 cent um yeah i said 50 uh yeah tears in the club by kingdom check it out that's a lot of music suggestions we're 35 minutes in sorry to talk so much along that um along those lines but i guess it's time to talk about some television some movies and then be on my way i think i'm gonna plug in my guitar and play at the end though we'll, we'll see if i can get the audio better i remember last time i tried to do it uh my computer just completely shit out on me and i was like oh great i can play the guitar for a 15 second interval and it sounds like two chords back and forth it's a damn frustrating but anyways uh I have three shows written down here. I haven't been watching too much TV, honestly. I've just been very busy lately. And, um, sorry, there's like a little fruit fly for some shit. I don't know what the bug out of here. Um, (laughs) won't edit that out. I want you to know I'm I'm fearless of these, fearless of these insects. Uh, Actually, I'm not. But, um, I did kill a spider. 
all on my lonesome the other day and I was <laughs> I was fucking impressed with myself. Um anyway, so I had three shows written down here. I started watching Love on Netflix. That's actually not part of the three shows, so I guess I have four. But I did start watching Love on Netflix last night. Again, I, I enjoyed season one. I talked about it on um I kinda don't like the name of the show. I, I mean just call me like come on, we can do something better. Um But uh I enjoyed the first season. It was funny. Judd Apatow show. I uh, watched the first episode last night from the second season. They're all on Netflix. I always forget that you can just kind of grind through them on there because I watch a lot of HBO and um, NFX and uh, just shows that kind of come out with episodes weekly. So I'm, I'm not going to really get into that because I haven't seen the whole season and I'll probably get on it because it's, it's an easy show to binge. I'm just going to take a drink of water real quick. And not pause the pause the broadcast. Fuck it. We're doing it live. It's like, uh, you know what? Let's actually, let's watch that. <laughs> let's just pull it up. I'm, I'm like Bill O'Reilly. This is a fucking hilarious video. Fuck it. We're doing it live. <laughs> um, we don't, we don't pause the broadcast here. It's, I know it's a podcast, but it's like live radio. That's what makes it exciting. You never know what's going to happen. Like when I saw that cat one time on the parking awning structure out here, Bill O'Reilly freak out is the first thing that comes up. Here we go. That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. Okay, I don't know what, whatever it is. It's not right on a teleprompter. I don't know what Uh-oh. that is. I've Someone's never seen heated. that. No, there it is. We are going to do Sting. Yeah. Okay, but okay. now I can't read it. There's no there's no words on it. Okay. Honey, sure. There's yeah. no words there to play us out. What does that mean? To play us out. It's, it's Sting is going to do, it's a video, Sting video. Okay. What is, for credit. I don't know what that means to play us out. What does that mean? <laughs> to end the show? Yeah, yeah. All right, go, go. In five, four, three. That's tomorrow, and that is that. Okay, in uh It's building four, up. Three. That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today, and we will leave you with a... I, I can't do it. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live! Fuck it! <laughs> do it live! I can, I'll write it, and we'll do it live! Right. Fucking thing sucks! In five, four, three... That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. I'm Bill O'Reilly. Thanks again for watching. We'll leave you with Sting and a cut off his new album. Take it away. There you fucking have it. We'll do it live. Fuck it. <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, I think I don't think that was actually on live television. They're probably just recording segments. But I just it's just so intense. Just what a freak out. It looks all young there too. Obviously, if you just search Bill O'Reilly freak out, you'll get it. Anyways. um... I digress. So I'm not going to talk about uh, I'm not going to talk about love. But I mean, the first episode was good. It was interesting. Um, but I will talk about. I started watching, Crashing on HBO, and reason being, it's like another show from Judd Apatow. You know, he's funny. He's got a good comedic mind, of course, and he's done a lot of great things. But uh, mainly, I wanted to watch it because Artie Lang was in it, who's from uh, you know the Howard Stern show, and I'm a big Stern fan and all that. And so I kind of want to see what he's up to. And he's really good in it. But I'm really just not a huge fan of Pete Holmes. And obviously he's a really, you know, he's a talented comedic 
mind and writer and everything like that. Like I've seen those funnier die clips where I think he's playing Batman. Very funny. And I'm not going to go on YouTube again and just keep playing clips the whole time. <laughs> Make my job a lot easier doing the podcast. I just don't talk. I just play YouTube and songs the whole time. Um, but I just don't, I don't know. I'm not a real fan of his stand up and his acting. It just kind of, it just kind of irritates me. Just, and it's not, I mean, if I met him in real life, I'd feel like a dick for saying that. It's just in terms of watching the show. That's just kind of my opinion. And he's just really clean humor. And I don't mind clean humor every once in a while. Like Jim Gaffigan is funny. I like Mike Birbiglia. However, uh, it's not necessarily my preference. And I don't know. Sometimes it just, he leaves, leaves me wanting a little bit more and, and just kind of someone different, especially when you have that character. It's like watching love. You have that lead who's just so awkward, so uncomfortable. So you relate to him and you feel bad for him, but it's just almost so overdone. And maybe that's how he is in real life, but it's just so like, I mean, I, and I know people are awkward like that. So it's just following that kind of person, but I don't know. I, I'm going to keep watching it though. And I'm, I'm two episodes in, I got the two episodes with Artie laying down and, and TJ Miller was in the second one. He was funny. And I started the third last night and then I was just too tired and went to bed. So I will keep watching that. It's, if you like comedy, do it. I, I watched the first episode of girls, uh, for the new season. I need to keep watching that before I can review it. So essentially I don't have a new show to suggest. I've just been dipping my toes in the water and that's just about it. It's so hard to commit to a show. And that's kind of why I've talked about on here. I love miniseries and everything like that because you can just crank through the six episodes, eight episodes, like the night of, or, you know, something like that. And then be done with it. And it's so hard with these shows. There's so many fucking seasons. And then the shows already have all the episodes out and they're ready to go. And which is great, but it's also just like, damn, I have my work cut out for me. And then, um, yeah, I mean, unfortunately I don't really have that many shows to talk about. I need to actually get one down. And, and I talked about Atlanta last time I finished that and I highly recommended it. I enjoyed it. Uh, but I guess the one thing I can talk about is the young Pope and I watched the first two and a half episodes and I, I think I need to rewatch it. It's getting critical acclaim. People are enjoying it. I've heard really great reviews. I, I don't enjoy it and maybe I don't get it. My, I was talking to my sister about it and she was kind of giving me shit. She was like, she was telling me, sorry, getting some water. Fuck it. We're doing it live. Uh, she, she was telling me how, um, it's like Italian cinema, this, that, and the other, blah, 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 like a certain type of cinema and filmmaking and everything like that. Maybe I'm just not into that style. I just don't like the writing of the show. I think it's over the top. And essentially for anybody who doesn't know, Jude Law is playing a Pope, but he's young. <laughs> That's the premise. And, uh, that he's just kind of coming in and people don't really know much about him. And then he's running shit and he's like really intense, very hardcore, very traditional, very like strict interpretation of the Bible and almost believes he's God as opposed to God himself or God, you know, as a, like an ulterior third party or something like that. Not, um, you know, not yourself or whatever. I don't know. It's just, it's weird. It's like an egomaniac and it takes on the Catholic church and I grew up Catholic. So I, I would find it interesting. Um, I, I just, it was really offensive that they would smack talk to the Catholic church like that. It was offensive. No, I was really offended and I just don't like ideas that I don't agree with. Uh, no, it was obviously, I'm just fucking around, but I, uh, it, it I was actually really interested because I, I think, exposing anything especially as controversial and with as deep and somewhat fucking dark of a history as the catholic church or you know any religion for that matter it's always going to be interesting and kind of like an alternative fiction however uh it's just the execution of the story itself and the the dialogue it's just i didn't enjoy it and, and again i kind of watched this a little while ago and i 
I wanted to go back and watch it again and kind of start the first episode because I heard so many good things. I just didn't enjoy it, and it was so extreme. And anybody who listens to this show knows I'm much more of a fan of downplayed, quiet stories that are realistic and grounded in, in humanity as opposed to, like, over-the-top, overexposed stories where it's just like, can we do more? Can we get away with more? And obviously, that's like, I love Thrones and Westworld and those are shows that kind of go over the top sometimes and crazy in terms of scope. However, they do it well. And I enjoy shows that, you know, or and movies too, kind of like Fences, which I might talk about in a little bit. Movies that are a little more just believable, realistic, and everyday. And this show, it's like I kind of wanted that feel. The reason Sopranos is so good is because Tony Soprano, Soprano's human. I mean, you see him going to the fridge and eating prosciutto and capicola I don't know how to say it um but even just like Italian meats and just being a normal human and and deals with some of the mobsters that he works with being gay and this that and the other I mean it's just so believable and it just makes it just I mean you relate to them instantly they're so human you can't do that with Jude Law's character and he the the dialogue is just over the top and a lot of it is very expositionary so or expositional and in a bad way like in a very direct way and I just again I'm not saying I could do any better I hate to be harsh on something like HBO that I love so much, but I, I kind of have no option with, um, with just a show. It's just not my cup of tea or a cup of red wine, cup of the blood of Christ, if you will. I, I think the only reason I can say that is because I was Catholic growing up. <laughs> I am Catholic. So, uh, but no, but it wasn't my cup of tea. I just didn't really enjoy it. And a lot of the dialogue was very like, you have these minor characters and they're just asking questions and answering them and asking questions and answering them and just providing the background for the whole story. And that's just, you don't, you don't want to do that with dialogue. And I just didn't enjoy it. It didn't make the, you know, viewer work at all. And then also show don't tell. That's like the number one fucking rule with screenwriting is show don't tell. Don't tell me what's going on. Don't, well, where are you from? I'm from here. Well, where, how, how was your background? Where'd you grow up? What was it like? Where are your parents? Were they just still together? Da, 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 da. It's like, we're not having a conversation at a dinner party. We're watching a fucking movie. We're watching a television show. You got to keep it going. Keep it escalating. Keep conflict um, going so it just evolves as opposed to just being stagnant and just expositionary or expositional. I don't know if expositionary is a word, but I like the sound of it. I like the way it flows off my tongue. And, um... So there's that, and on top of that, too, the second episode featured a fucking kangaroo on the grounds of the Pope's, like, Vatican estate. I, I, I mean, I just didn't, I don't know what the actual name of is it, name of it is, it's name of is it, <laughs> I don't know what the name of is it, uh, I don't know what the name it, of it is, however, um, it, I mean, it's like not the White House, then I don't know what it's called, <laughs> that's the only building I know the name of, but basically, the Pope gets a kangaroo sent to him by like, you know, it's like a new young Pope, it's a new Pope, and so everybody's sending their gifts and to honor him and everything like that, which I'm sure happens regularly whenever there is a new Pope induct, I'm sure it happens all the time in general. And it's from some wildlife preservation thing, and they send him a, a kangaroo, and he opens, he, he's like, walks up, and they're like, oh, what do you want to do with it? Where should we put the cage? And he's like, open the gate. And he's just so over the top. This is just a perfect example. He's just so open. He's like, open the gate. And they open it, and like slide it open it's like a prison cell door kind of thing with the bars and he just looks at it and then like he lifts his arm and waves it and outstretches his outstretches his arm with palms up and kind of sweeps to the right as if to say come this way 
you know, like a very, almost like a, and you can tell it's obviously with religious undertones as well. And the kangaroo just stares at him. And this is all happening. This really happened on the show. It was ridiculous. And the kangaroo, like, I don't know if the kangaroo came out or not, but it like doesn't attack him or pull a kangaroo jack and like kick him or punch him with the boxing glove, boxing gloves or whatever, like whatever that kangaroo is to in pop culture. I can't remember the name of that one, but you know, it doesn't do any kangaroo jack esque moves, which is a fine film by the way. And bullshit that I got snubbed at the Oscars that year. I don't even want to get into that, but, um, it like doesn't do anything and it like kind of walks out or either way, it's just standing like right in front of me staring at it. And they're like, and everybody's in awe behind him. And he's like, put him on the grounds. I don't want him in the cage basically. And it was like so fucking absurd for no goddamn reason. And then, um, excuse me for taking the Lord's name in vain while talking about a young Pope. And, um, then basically the, uh, kangaroos like on the grounds later and he's watching and he's like walking to the, he's walking to the, um, I think to give his like first speech or something like that to the crowd. I don't know. Um, I don't know if you'd call it a commencement speech or anything like that, but it's just bizarre. And then it's like the kangaroo just hangs out on the grounds and it was just like, is this a, what is this? And it, I, again, I just wasn't into the style of it. And maybe some people enjoyed it. I've heard rave reviews from both people and critics and people love it. It was just a bit much for me. And it's and not in the terms of being offensive or anything. Talk about the church. It's fictionalized. I can buy into that. Of course, you know, um, it was just a little too, I don't know, just again, too absurd. I think that's the thing. It was too absurd and too unbelievable and just over the top. And it just wasn't, wasn't my thing. So essentially no show suggestions, just trashing a lot of shows or just trashing that show and then kind of touching on other ones. But again, I just haven't really gotten to it. However, I'll try and make a quick on the movies. So I saw, I got to recap the Oscars real quick and then talk about movies I've seen. So before, before I talk about the Oscars, I saw, you know, Moonlight, Manchester by the Sea, loved them both. I thought both of those deserved to be best picture. I saw Hackstar Ridge. It's okay. You know, cheesy war movie in some ways you can't help but avoid that sometimes, but also Mel Gibson does do a good job with, um, storytelling and, um, not storytelling. Uh, I didn't really like the storytelling of it. I didn't like the conflict and the dialogue parts. I thought it was a little cheesy, you know, a little too cheesy, but I, obviously the war scenes were incredible. And I think did it definitely, definitely did a good job of capturing the horror of war, especially in Japan. I mean, it's hor- horrific everywhere, but, um, and being involved in, it, especially at that time, I mean, anytime really, but especially at that time and the brutality of the Japanese army. Um, I mean, you, you just read about it and it's, fucking terrifying and um i think he did a good job of capturing that so i did enjoy that other than that though you know that movie wasn't you know my favorite didn't think it was amazing i didn't really think it was oscar worthy necessarily because i thought it was so cheesy but you know some people like that structure and um and that's fine uh but i did enjoy i did enjoy manchester by the sea and moonlight love them if you haven't seen them go see them i believe i talked about them on here but i also saw a movie called uh, Silence, Martin Scorsese's, uh, Martin Scorsese's newest film. And I, I absolutely loved it. I was fascinated with it again, dealing with religion. And I, I saw it a couple weeks ago, but, uh, I wanted to talk about it on here cause it was very, very good. And it, uh, unfortunately got snubbed at the Oscars. I think only got selected for best cinematography. It was shot incredibly well, but it was a very silent film, you know, I mean, hence the name, but it was very like patient. It was like two and a half, almost three hours long. But basically, it tells a story, and Scorsese is obviously a master. Uh, you know, there's no question about that. And um, I think everything he touches turns to gold. But 
basically tells a story that has Adam Driver and Andrew Garfield as the leads and trying to go find Liam Neeson. It's set in the 1600s. <laughs> Liam Neeson's been taken by some terrorists in France and um, Andrew Garfield has a very specific set of skills and he's going to go rescue him. It's taken four and um, no, but it's, it's basically set in 1600s and they're the priests trying to spread Christianity in Japan, I believe actually when at the time um, I, I wish I could remember the specific specifics of it, but let's pull it up on my computer real quick. Just so I don't mess up the plot. I want to do it justice. Two Christian missionaries who faced the ultimate test of faith when they traveled to Japan in search of their missing mentor, Liam Neeson, at a time when Christianity was outlawed and their presence forbidden the celebrated director's 28-year journey to bring Shusaku Endo's 1966 novel to life. Acclaimed novel to life will be in theaters this Christmas. Oh, um, well, not this Christmas. Uh, last Christmas. However, um, yes, yeah, so that's essentially the story and... and um, I I just can't recommend it enough. I don't want to spoil anything. It's just so beautifully shot and um, just incredibly artistic and just a, an amazing story because it's based in truth and it's just such a brutal time and just the oppressive na nature of, of Japan at the time, not allowing Christianity and, and so many countries are guilty of that and it's just such an interesting subject matter, especially at the time, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago where it's just, you could get away with so much and, and you even still can now of course um and it's terrible but uh it's just incredible at the time and i thought it was an amazing story and it did a good job of portraying a, a period of time where i honestly had no i had no idea about it i did not know it was a thing and basically they're just tested the entire time by uh the the japanese like government to apostatize and give up their religion and i mean it's an incredible thing to ask of a priest back in the day when that's all people had. I mean, there's no technology, no internet, nothing. I mean, no running water. I mean, it's just incredibly difficult um, and d difficult. And um, these priests were, you know, like gods to people. And it's just people find so much solace in it. And they have to ask the priests to go against their religion, ask the people to. And it's just brutal. I, I thought it was so well done and just a fucking masterful film. I really enjoyed it. And I think it deserved uh, a little more Oscar acclaim. I mean, I have absolutely thought it was better than Hacksaw Ridge. Um, but what are you going to do? And it's, uh, it's, that's just, I don't know how the Academy works and what their judging goes off of, but I thought I got snubbed. I highly recommend if you can get a chance to watch it, it was fucking phenomenal. I, I truly would watch again. And Andrew Garfield is incredible. And then that brings me to the Oscars, which is, I'm glad Moonlight won Best Picture, and um, I thought Manchester by the Sea could have won. I thought Manchester by the Sea was a bit more of a Best Picture overall. I mean, Manchester by the Sea was like a Goodwill Hunting type movie in terms of just, I mean, it was more depressing and less uplifting, but just in terms of storytelling scope and just um, like the world of the story, I, I fucking loved it. I thought it was so good. It was very, very sad, of course, for anybody who's seen it, but um, I was interested. I still really haven't seen La La Land. And I probably should, but uh, I, I really can't speak to it, unfortunately. However, uh, I did see Moonlight, of course, like I talked about on here. And while I do agree with certain criticisms of it being um, maybe not like a typical best picture and kind of one of those best pictures like The Artist, where it's going to go down as a best picture that people just might kind of forget about. You know, it's not going to be one that just hold like, not like a best picture, like, uh, I mean... I can't believe Wolf of Wall Street didn't win Best Picture. Uh, let's see. Let me just pull up an example. Best Picture winners by year. Um, 
Academy Award for Best Picture goes to... So if we have our well, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, let's work it up. Okay, so... Um, like, No Country for Old Men holds up. Like, fucking amazing. Hurt Locker kind of just passes away. People forget about it. The King's Speech kind of passes away. Artist Argo... Yeah, and then Birdman and like 12 Years a Slave, I feel like are so just totally hold up. Uh, Spotlight, oh, come on. I was not happy with that. Moonlight, um, like Departed, I think Departed holds up minus the one gaping plot hole of why would this criminal accept somebody who he knows went to police school and he could just find any other goons to do his job. Uh, what are, what are you going to do? Um Gladiator, American Beauty, I think those hold up still. It's a good thing those won. Shakespeare in Love, that obviously just passes through, and people are like, why did that win and not Saving Private Ryan? Huh? Um, Titanic, of course, a classic. You know, there's just those ones that win, and everybody remembers Braveheart. That's like a best picture that just is like, oh, that's fucking, that was the best picture. That totally makes sense. And there's the others where maybe not as competitive of a field, and there were good movies in the field, of course, this year. I just think Moonlight, maybe in terms of story, like just a world of a story, is not a typical best picture, but I will say it's a good thing for indie film, and I'm very excited about that, because in terms of independent film, it completely embodied what I love about it. It had a simple story, just amazing characters, not over-the-top dialogue, not excessive or anything, dealing with so many topical issues, and um, covering lots of different bases, and uh, like you know, race and sexuality and yada, just everything. I mean, and um, I thought it was phenomenal and simple. And, and while maybe some people might think it's a little overrated or, uh, you know, a little too hyped up for how maybe simple it is, I thought it was beautiful and elegant in its simplicity. And I think that, um, again, it's just good for independent film. And I hope it, it gets to make this kind of um, filmmaking happen more often because... It's going to bring me to my movie I'm going to review. My new movie of the week that I'm going to review that I... Oh, it was bad. Um, but that said, just real quick, wrapping up with the Oscars. Warren Beatty, sorry, my dude. <laughs> sorry, my dude. <laughs> Miss it. <laughs> just that getting the wrong envelope, man. Uh, along those lines, people like to complain and say, well, I don't know why he, you know, opened that envelope. He obviously knew it was the wrong one and he's going to read it. What's he doing? I would have, you know, people like to say what they would have done in that situation. You're not in that damn situation. You don't know what you do. You got millions of people watching you. That shit's nerve wracking. There's not much you can do. What are you going to stop the broadcast? That's tough. That's so tough. Uh, that's just so funny that it happened like that at the Oscars. I mean, Steve Harvey is absolutely acquitted of any, uh, of any mistakes he may have made in the past announcing wrong winners. And um, that accounting firm, PricewaterhouseCoopers Price or something like that. Um, that's just unfortunate. And that guy, too, tweeting the whole time who got, who's the one who messed up the envelopes. I mean, what a just a funny-ass story. I mean, whatever. But no harm, no foul. Who cares? It's They're all nominated. And, and it's such an oversaid trope by all the people going to the Oscars. But it's true. You know, it's, it's really just an honor to be nominated. If you get nominated for an Academy Award, all you have to say anything for the rest of your career is nominated for an Oscar and you've got work in the industry. So at least I would think you do a lot of the time and it would help at least. So I think it's, it really is uh, just an honor either way. And you know, La La Land, Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight, they're all good movies. And it's, you know, La La Land I'm sure is good and they all probably deserve it in a way. Now I don't think there was a huge standout winner for best picture anyway. So that's my take on the Oscars and I wish I could talk about it more, but it already just passed and I'm already an hour in. So the last thing I wanted to review was just, 
I saw Kong Lol Island and, uh, oh, sorry, <laughs> Kong Skull Island. And it had like so much star studded power. It was like Samuel L. Jackson, Brie Larson, um, Brie Larson, uh, do, 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 uh, yeah, that's it. No. Um, and John Goodman and John C. Riley and let's just pull it. Oh, and then, uh, Thomas Hiddleston and fucking yada, yada. All these stars has a $190 million budget. And I will just say that I am, let's see, it roars to $61 million opening. Let's look this up. $61 million. And, oh, it hasn't been released worldwide yet. Oh, no, it has. $142 million already. Man, that's a crazy amount of money. Um, and so I get why they're making these movies. They print money. But I will tell you, it was bad. And I don't like, I usually don't see these movies. I don't go see box office kind of bustard movies like that. But I'm not like a total snob, you know, I can buy into it and I can just have a good time with the movie and shut my brain off if it's something that's going to be unbelievable. Obviously, obviously, if it's going to be, you know, a spectacle and entertaining, let's do it. And this movie was anything but and it's just a bummer because I see the industry going this way and I went with a friend who's kind of into the superhero movies and shows and that genre and he reads comic books and everything is, is just getting created like that and they're creating these universes and they're creating, you know, now the next movie is going to be Godzilla versus the King Kong dude. And then it's going to, you know, and it's just nonstop and all these shows on Netflix and limited episodes. And I understand from a business perspective, I get that. I've talked about it before on here. I get it. It's one of those things like, I don't know. I, it's, it's frustrating. It's, it's art versus it's art versus business. And there always is going to be a business side cause it creates, you know, it takes money to make art always. And especially coming from these big, um, entertainment companies, they, they got to go with the surefire, uh, makes, and sometimes they go wrong. You know, you make a movie and it flops. It happens like that. Uh, I'm like hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm with Matt Damon, the great wall where he was white and he played like an Asian dude, a Chinese person. And, um, people were like up in arms about that. And I kind of get it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not really going to defend that one. It doesn't really make sense, but I, I didn't, I don't really know enough about that uh, to talk about it. However, it's just the movie just had no story, no characters, just hacky ass dialogue, just over the top. And it has like a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes and it reminded me of Suicide Squad. It just wasn't good. It wasn't good storytelling. And it's like, there's been great box office movies. Like, you know, obviously Iron Man was fucking awesome or you know, Batman Begins Dark Knight and not, you know, there, there've been good. I saw the Avengers a while ago. I enjoyed that first one, but it's just so overdone. And, and, you know, to kind of round out the point, I hope because of Moonlight winning best picture, these indie films that can't cost that much money. I hope they start making them more. I hope they start doing that because it's a diversification would be just of the utmost importance. Cause I know these movies make money, but some of them really don't, they come barely close to coming even it seems like. And I know I, I kind of am talking out of my ass cause I don't know the finances behind it, but I do think, I do think like eventually it, it won't last because it, you know, everything comes in waves and then, you know, you look at the movies that were made 10 years ago and then 20 years ago and you see totally all the trends. And right now we're in this box office blockbuster movie and, you know, CGI and kind of, uh, style over substance, I guess. Uh, and just kind of, you know, just spectacle over substance. And I just, I'm not, I'm not into it. I'm really not into that movie. It was pretty bad it's pretty bad I just it's not my cup of tea but I understand that the 
that there is a business aspect to it too and people want to go see it and international audiences want to go see it so it's it's just kind of a part of the industry but i just i can't go see movies like that very often anymore and just to say go support indie film if you like movies like moonlight and stuff go see them in the theater too that's what keeps that genre alive because people are going to go see you know kong and that and, and you can go see it in the theater because it's a spectacle you got to go see it it's it's you know all the animation looks amazing up on the big screen i saw it in the cine capri you know it's it's big and gaudy it's the way you want it but still go go see indie film and theater too. keep that genre alive because that's where the real storytelling is and this stuff that kind of changes people's minds and, and invites you into a world you've never been in so let's see box office 41 million hell yes for moonlight now the question is the budget one and a half million dollars obviously that's just you know that doesn't happen all the time and that's a rarity you know that's the one that hits but that's i mean jesus i mean imagine being the guy who greenlit that movie or guy or girl um not to be sexist uh imagine just the the person who greenlit that it's like wow good call <laughs> good call i mean it made so much money back that's so awesome i get it doesn't happen all the time but um hopefully we start seeing film like that more often because it's just the superhero movies and box office blow up movies are to me getting a little out of hand but i understand their, their surefire wins a lot more of the time. So it's a little frustrating. But there was one part in calling that it was just so bad. Just so over, just so cheesy. It was incredibly cheesy. And Samuel L. Jackson was so over the top. And I think he just didn't care. He's probably cashing checks. I'm like, well, whatever. Who gives a shit? I'll just have fun with it. But there was a scene where Thomas Hiddleston, like, and okay, so they go to this island and they're going to Lowell Island. And um, basically they are like, you know, they, there's people that believe in like the, not the boogeyman, but like Loch Ness monster and shit like that, you know, and um, Bigfoot and they want to go find all the monsters. So they believe in like a King Kong thing and they get there and this thing starts blowing up all the helicopters and the way they get there is so stupid and like doesn't make any sense and it's not justified at all, not believable at all. And the way that they like negotiate with the U.S. government, it's absolutely ridiculous. And um, I will say at least it was fast paced. It got going. But it was still just like, it just wasn't good. And then they get on the island and the big ape starts blowing up helicopters and action starts. And then right after all that happens and there's been this brutal, vicious violence and people have died. Everybody's like cracking jokes and it's like such a movie where they're like, why isn't everybody freaking out? Why am I the only one not freaking out? Like one of the characters saying that and then they're all just joking around being casual and it's like, it was just so weird. The tone was all over the place. It was like funny and then dark and then sad and then happy and like comedic and it was just had no consistency to it. And I just didn't enjoy, I just didn't enjoy it. I really, I really didn't. And then it gets so overdone and it just tried to cover way too much ground, you know, tonally. And then also uh, like plot wise, because it has this big ape and then it's like, oh, well, there's other monsters here too. And it's like, there's these giant spiders and ants and, and like these big lizard things that kind of look like uh, Komodo dragons with like snakes. Like they have two arms and then just like a snake tail almost like they're slithering. And that didn't work either because it was just too much. It was overdone. And then that was the real enemy of King Kong. And then they got to take that out. And it was just so much. It was just too much. And, you know, fucking A, man, less is more. Less is more. So, um, whatever. I did not like it. And then at the end, there was a part with Thomas Hiddleston where he literally, there's like these like bat flying things and the Komodo dragons coming at them. Again, ridiculous. I saying it even just sounds ridiculous. And he's swiping at these uh, bat things. And it was like this side shot view where he's running across the screen in like this gas mask area. And he has a gas mask on 
and there's just gas everywhere and it was like purple and he was just swiping this axe going across the street against all of them and or like a sword and like slicing them and it was just like <laughs> I straight up started laughing. I was like, this is absurd. Like, this is just so over the top. And um, also, I don't know why this always happens to me, but when I go to the theater, people like to just shout at the screen. And I was there this past time, and someone literally during one of the scenes after, like, it has, like, a Vietnam influence because it's set in the 60s, and, like, Samuel L. has his squad there, and he's, like, the lieutenant or whatever. And he's got his soldiers. And again, like like you can tell already, it's like, why is it trying to do so much in Vietnam? And then this, that, and the other. It's ridiculous. And, um, basically Samuel L, they like finish a battle and it's like super brutal and over the top and ridiculous. And then zooming in on Samuel L and again, just being cheesy and someone behind is like over and out, keep up, move, keep on moving. Something like that. Like a, like an army kind of call and his group of friends start laughing. And I was just like, who has the audacity to just shout out things in the theater? I wish I could be that bold of a person. I mean, I talk a little bit in the theater. I want to talk to people next to me and like kind of give my reaction on certain things that like really get me. But it's just so funny how people just don't give a single fuck. I'm like, maybe I'll get there one day. But uh, it's just, it was funny. It was it was a bad movie. Now, it's one of those movies where you're just laughing at a lot of parts that aren't intentionally supposed to be funny. And it was just horrible. So don't recommend that. But I do recommend seeing, um, I do recommend seeing Silence, Moonlight, Manchester by the Sea. And I'm going to try and watch some new movies lately too to help with the next podcast episode. But that has been episode 22. He's covered a lot of ground. It's an hour and eight minutes. Fuck it. We are doing it live. And um, I'm plugging my guitar and shred a little bit at the end here. Um, I would I would leave you with a song, but I guess I'll just, I'll just plug in the guitar. And uh, let's get this set up real quick. All right. So uh, <clears throat> set up here. Keep in mind that uh, this guitar needs to be fixed. The lower or the higher E string and... Uh, the higher two strings are sounding like garbage. I got to take it in the shop today, but let's just jam a little bit. And uh, thanks for listening. Um, episode 22 content for the culture. A long one. Hope you enjoyed. some sloppy <laughs> jamming with zero structure to it for you there but appreciate you listening episode any of you listeners out there and um episode 22 content for the culture uh let's play it out actually with a song here
right, we're going to leave you with uh, ABBA Extended Mix, the new Lane 8 song out. Check it out. Have a good week. Thanks for listening.